the work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org. I grew up in a family that was totally silent on the topic of injustice. Not a word, not an action, not even the recognition that anything could possibly be wrong with the world. Somehow our lives were supposed to be enough just as they were, our family in its social context, a tiny unit that reached out not, not much at all, it seems. My awareness of injustice had to wait till I left home and went to work. And then, thankfully, the messages arrived in a steady stream of painful stories about people's lives. Children abandoned, veterans homeless, poverty all around, and the list went on as it does. There were many stories that touched me, but one has stuck with me over the years it's helped me see how the work of justice fits best for me. As a part of my work, I met a family, parents and an adult son. I'm calling him Omar. He was maybe 22 or so. They were immigrants only recently in the country, and they were applying for help for this son who was significantly intellectually delayed. Omar understood some words, but did not speak, and never had. The father, a doctor in his native land, was now driving a cab, the mother at home with a son. This young man did nothing but sit on the couch and stare uncomprehending at the television. Both parents were worried about his mood and about his absolutely inert response to life, especially since he was healthy and had no physical limitation. In the interview room, Omar demonstrated this absence of energy, sitting unmoving, head down in his lap. He showed no interest or sign of recognition that anything was going on around him at all. I asked some basic questions, searching for some clues about his state but nothing seemed to explain this absence of spark in his life. Eventually, I just asked the parents if there was anything that Omar liked, anything that brought him to life in some way. And the father responded quite quickly. Yes, he said, the boy loves cats. And with the sound of that word, this boy's head raised from his lap, his life, life showed up on his face, Staring at his father, his eyes brightened and energy appeared. A cat, that was it. Just a cat would bring him to life. That was the place to start to find young Omar some joy. Predictably, I asked him, could they get him a cat? No, they said, they couldn't afford one. Not the cat, 
or the food or the litter, nothing. It was all more than they could manage, even though they wished it otherwise. I was stunned. How could this possibly be? But for me, that wasn't even the worst of it, because just one day before, literally 24 hours, I had been to an animal shelter myself and got a kitten. And to make matters worse, the kitten was given to me for free. Me, who had plenty of money to afford a cat, me whose life was comfortable much easier than theirs, I could have paid for my cat, I could have bought 10, and they couldn't even have one, not one for this boy who loved nothing else. I sat silently, my mind reeling about this intimate bit of injustice that directly implicated me. It was as if I had stolen the one thing that would bring life to this boy. It was impossible for me to let this one go. In my horror and my need to respond, though, there emerged a gift I didn't expect. And that was the feeling of my caring and my clarity of purpose combined. This was justice demanding action. It was justice up close where my heart was involved. Justice one life at a time. I had never been able to see myself in the loud vocal role of the activist on TV, but this, this was work that was mine. This tiny moment of energized involvement might seem insignificant in the larger scheme of things, but for me, I realized it was not. It was valuing the spirit of somebody's life and hoping to bring it alive. Not money, not power, not anything flashy, just a moment of rightness for a person in need. I couldn't have been happier to take this project on. This bit of work for justice was a gift that was given to me. And this was what my family had missed. Thank you for inviting us to use our outside voices, <laughs> especially about love. Good morning. My name is Jan Oringer, and I've been a member of this church community for 15 years. And my husband and I were drawn to Unitarianism over 50 years ago because it offered us an opportunity for spiritual growth, but also an ability to work in community to promote social justice. Collaborating with others for the good of all was a value instilled in me at a very early age. I was the eldest of seven children born in a farm family in rural Ohio. We siblings were aware that our contributions were really important to the survival of our family. Not that we did this without a substantial amount of complaining and whining and disagreeing about who was shirking their share of the labor. But we did learn that there was power in numbers. We did, after all, outnumber our parents. <laughs> 
Our father, to supplement our income, worked at the General Motors factory in our local town. Working conditions there were unsafe and really unhealthy until workers organized to join the union. The quality of life improved for our family and many others in the community as people learned that there was power in individuals working together to make change. Those lessons came with me to my first career as a nurse. I found teamwork was essential to provide life-saving care and the relief of suffering. And these previous experiences enabled me to move on to the next phase of my life. Howard and I married, we had two sons, and we moved to different communities a number of times. I took some, I guess, time off to go back to school as well as to be active in the community. That meant in those years, this was some time ago, leadership in PTA, school site councils, and other opportunities in suburban life. When our children both left home to attend college, we moved to San Francisco to a new adventure in city life. I began a career as a clinical supervisor at a nonprofit organization here in the city that provided services for family caregivers. Once again, it was evident to me that these caring, really almost heroic individuals needed a team of social workers, nurses, home health aides, adult daycare, and so forth, and so forth, and so forth. Eventually, having become a licensed marriage and family therapist, I established a practice counseling individuals and families who were providing care for family members experiencing dementia, strokes, head injuries, or simply the challenges of aging. As I met with people in support groups, I marveled at the way these individuals supported each other. One wonderful example of such advice was given by a woman regarding restlessness and wandering behaviors related to dementia. She was really creative. Her husband had been a plumber, and he became quite restless in the daytime hours when in the past he was accustomed to having been at work. She had a small tool shed in their backyard, which she made into his workshop. After breakfast, she would suggest he go out to organize things in his workshop. He would happily spend hours organizing tools and equi equipment that were familiar to him. This example inspired others to discuss ways they might incorporate pastimes and activities that would reduce frustration for loved ones and, of course, themselves. Some caregivers, empowered to change their own situations, even united in efforts to change government policies related to caregiving families. As my husband and I contemplated retirement, we looked way for ways that we could give back to our community. So 20 years ago, with the support of our children, we established the Omnia Foundation. Our sons showed us intellectual and moral support 
in committing to sharing our family assets with others in the community. We met with them to identify underserved causes for which a small foundation could make an outsized impact. One of those original areas of focus was prisoner reentry. Not a popular thing for most funders in those days. As we met with those impacted by the criminal justice system, we became aware of the enormous waste of human potential made by mass incarceration. Many of the nonprofits that we support are led by intelligent, creative, formerly incarcerated folks who have strong leadership skills. Several of them taught us that we were, they were more successful when they worked with other organizations that had similar goals. They maximized our funds and skills to create change. Two quick examples. Susan, after 17 years in various prisons, emerged determined to help her incarcerated sisters. She has established homes with rooms for recently released incarcerated women and their children. She has also made it possible for them to get legal assistance, job training, drug treatment, and opportunities to become organizers in the areas of reentry and prison reform. And she's written a book about her journey in life and has seen to it that they are distributed to women in prison. And then there's Dorsey. Dorsey also spent around 17 years in prison. He's now the executive director of a nonprofit devo devoted to serving both incarcerated and formerly incarcerated people. He has organized formerly incarcerated people to participate in the Ban the Box movement, which has been highly successful across the country. The box being banned is the one on job applications that ask if the applicant has ever been convicted of a felony. You can imagine what happens to those applications. After a number of years spent encouraging grantees to collaborate with other organizations to maximize their effectiveness, the light went on that we should practice what we preach. You know, we're never too old to practice new ways of being. Ten years ago, we joined a funding circle called the Race, Gender, and Human Rights Fund, composed of 10 small family foundations, all fund in the area of criminal justice. We pool our money, ideas, and strategies to be more effective. This has been a really satisfying experience and confirms my belief in playing well with others. Sometimes I hate that saying, think global, act local. I mean, don't get me wrong, I recycle, but you know, sorting your plastic isn't really that inspiring. I don't really think it's gonna stop global warming. You know what might though? What if we could make a machine that drained heat out of the ocean to remake the melting icebergs and turn all of that energy into electricity? What if we planted a trillion trees to turn the Sahara Desert into a rainforest? What if we connected the whole country with high-speed rail? 
Those ideas might be a little unrealistic, but they're pretty fun, right? You'd get along with them. In college, I took a class on design thinking. One of the things that they taught was how to do a brainstorm. Now, I know some of you are thinking, those are great. And the rest of you are thinking, uh, people talking about ideas they think are great. But what I learned is that you're both right. In a brainstorm, you're supposed to withhold judgment. That means phase one is energetically talking about ideas that are pretty wild, like freezing the ocean, and you don't judge. You just build on those ideas because that's fun, it gets the creative juices flowing, and you won't feel shut down. But don't worry, the judgment isn't gone. It's just withheld until phase two. Then you try to figure out what ideas you're actually gonna go forward with. So maybe we're not gonna freeze the ocean, but China's already planted 66 billion trees to try to reforest the Gobi Desert, so maybe there's something to that idea. Those big dreams aren't just good for a brainstorm. They keep us going. The reason that I'm so focused on social justice is because I surround myself with people who dream big. I have friends who've started nonprofits or who are working on diversity. I've seen Dolores Huerta, who founded United Farm Workers with Cesar Chavez. I've listened to Emma's Revolution singing about beginnings. And it makes me think that we can rise to any challenge. The dreams of these people keep me going. When I left my job to try to find something more social justice focused, I spoke with Jan and Howard Oranger, and they helped counsel me and helped me figure out where to go next. That's why I'm part of this community. You all help me be a better person, and we together make the world a better place. Now, I know that we UUs can be in our heads sometimes, but I want you all to help me out with this next part. So when I'm asking a question, it's not rhetorical. I actually want you to respond. I want to feel some energy from you all. Can you do that? Thank you. I am proud to be a part of a congregation that gathers every week to recognize the injustices at the border. Are you proud to be a part of UUSF? Yes. It's not just about pride in what we've done. It's also dreaming about what is possible. Four days ago, The Guardian wrote about how the conservative government in Utah is starting to acknowledge and combat climate change. That makes me believe that we will beat global warming. Do you believe we can beat global warming? Three days ago, there was a study in Nature where scientists found an immune cell that fought every kind of cancer they threw at it. It's still early, but that makes me believe that one day we will cure cancer. Do you believe we can cure cancer? Yesterday was the Nevada caucus. There was a record-breaking turnout, and half of the early ballots were from people participating for the first time ever. People are more engaged than ever before, and that makes me believe we can rebuild our democracy. Do you believe we can rebuild our democracy? Yes! Today, we are all gathered together. I've told you all some of my dreams. Now I want to hear some of yours. Uh, there was a little seed planted at the beginning of service that this might happen, so this is going to be chaotic, but on the count of three, I need all of you to shout out one of your dreams. One, two, three. Yes, 100% yes. As chaotic and cacophonous and beautiful as that was, we can make that happen together.
The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org.